You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling. Shotgun, we're back. This is kind of a mishmash of two episodes. Because mish, 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 mish. A mishmash because we did originally film an episode <laughs> last Wednesday, but then I essentially died and got sick with the flu slash cold slash bad things. If you can still hear, I'm still dying, but less so. Less, you're dying less so. Less this so. This seems like a common occurrence for you. My body's not my friend sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode is going to be uh, an update of, we refresh some sections with newsier items and then some of the, the meat of the episode is still there. So if you hear different sounds and different tones of our voices, that's why. But it's still a good episode nonetheless. But Shotgun, uh, we had some breaking news last week. We covered it in the live show, but I thought we'd hit it again. But before we do that, uh, as a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Audio Boom. You can also email us your questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us. Sometimes on Wednesdays, look out for a tweet from either Shotgun or I. We ask for last-minute questions on Twitter, and you can send us those as well. We answer your emails and tweets at the end of the episode, so make sure you stay tuned to that. But Shotgun, the not-so-breaking news of the offseason so far, Matt Fink has decided to enter the transfer portal. He told ESPN's Kyle Bonagura that it's not permanent and not a permanent decision, but he's going to see what offers come his way. But what are your thoughts initially? And, and now that we've had time to think about it, about Matt Fink uh, declaring to leave? I mean, I think I think it tells you that the, they had their meetings with the players and said, hey, this is where you stand. This is where you are on the depth chart right now coming out of spring. And he was not in the top two because if you're yeah. in the top two, you're not going to leave um, because even if if JT Daniels was in front of him, you got to think, hey, if he gets injured, if something happens in fall camp, you never know. And then I'm right in there and I take over. So I think this is, you know, we were wondering about him, Jack Sears, you know, and, and JT Daniels, all three of those guys, the you know, the guys that have been on campus for a couple of years now, that if someone else, if they were not named a starter, what were they trying to get out of, out of their time at USC? Yeah. So Matt Fink will graduate in June, I believe it is, June or July. Um, so he will be able to be a grad transfer. He'll be immediately eligible. So he's looking to go and play somewhere. So he's looking to see if he can find somewhere where he can be the starter. And that's what he's going to, you know, that's, that's the whole thing with, I don't know for sure if I'm going to be gone. It's kind of that sentiment because he's going to look and see hey, if I got a chance to go in and start somewhere, then that's what I'm going to do. If he's going to be a backup somewhere, you know, I think the question then becomes, do I want to leave and what I have here at USC or do I just stick with it? If it's going to be a similar situation where I'm not going to be the starter, he wants to try to go play. So that's what he's going to try to go, go do. And, you know, you, I try to tell every kid that, that, if they ask for it or unsolicited that if you get a chance, try to enroll early, try to take all the summer classes you can get done in three years, because Hey, if it's a situation where you feel like you're not getting enough play in time, you can always grad transfer after three years. If you have your degree and then you can go on, get that second degree, which is innumerably valuable. And, in, in, you know, the fact that you're not having to pay for that, you don't have the student loans that I stu currently have from my grad school uh, wow. experience. Um, but you also, you know, you can, if you, if there's a situation that is not, if you're not prospering in a situation, you can go somewhere else and find another home. And you see so many guys do it and started in basketball and you've seen it more and more in football now where you get grad transfers where guys are, are, you know, play out their, their time at one school and, you know, look for some, for, for a better 
situation for them at, at, an, at another spot, and I think that's what Matt Fink's looking for right now. We'll see how it plays out because that's the thing with quarterbacks. You know, there's going to be a lot of them on the market, and yeah. the quarterback is a, a position where you're not rotating with anybody else during yeah. the season. So, you know, you got to go in and be a starter. That's going to be hard to do coming out, you know, when you're not going to be there for spring. Now, if you had a chance to go – after January or you know after December and go, then you can fight for a, a a battle battle for a spot in spring. I think it's a lot tougher to say, you know, that's a place where I can go and be the starter when you didn't get a chance to participate in the spring. So it's going to be a tough tough kind of situation to find a home in. But you're seeing it you're seeing it all over the country. I mean, Ohio State just had a you know a court, their backup transfer. Or enter his name in the transfer portal as well. So you know it's something that's happened more and more frequently. And the thing is, is there's not going to be spots for everybody. So I think some people are going to end up coming back. And Matt Fink might be one of those guys. Yeah, that's why it was surprising for me for two reasons. One, because as we mentioned before on the podcast, we weren't sure what Matt Fink's career aspirations were for the rest of his eligibility. You know, and it seemed like based on the way he was. Um, acquired by USC, you know, the way that they recruited him and whatnot and his role so far at USC just seemed like he was, he knew his spot as kind of the backup guy, the filler guy. So that was surprising to me. And then two, also because we kind of came out of spring camp thinking that Matt Fink was number two. You know, I thought he was at least more consistent than Jack Sears for spring. What does this say about what Graham Harrell is looking for in quarterbacks? If, If we're maybe seeing something different than Graham did. And the question becomes, are they looking for potential or are they looking sure. for results? Because Matt Fink had better results this spring. Jack Sears has better potential. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's the battle right there. We think that Keaton Slovis, even though he had a, a strong spring, he's probably in, in fourth. So I think it was between, uh, you know, you think JT's probably at the top and those two guys are in the middle battling for positioning there. And it sounds like Jack Sears ends up number two and Matt Fink ends up number three. And that's why he decides that he wants to enter the transfer portal. So I think that that's what it is. You're looking at it and saying, okay, well, this guy will progress this much, you know, and and the results will come better, I guess, with Jack Sears is what you're looking at. And when you're ranking those guys uh, as the coaching staff has. So, yeah, I think that that's kind of what it is, is, you know, you're looking for that potential and seeing who can take you to that next level versus, who can be the guy to you know just keep the ship afloat when you uh, when you need him to go in there? And that's what Matt Fink has done the times that he's gone in the game. I mean, you know, he, he let a touchdown drive, I think, or field goal drive at Stanford when they you know couldn't move the ball at all. You know, he comes in the Utah game, he has some success there, even though it was a blowout at that point. And if he wasn't injured, he would have been the guy starting against Arizona State. So you know, it's tough luck for him that that injury occurred right then that he got injured in the same game that JT Daniels got injured. Um, but you know, you hope for the best for everyone and you know, that they can find an opportunity to, to get on the field and play. Yeah. Yeah. We wish the best for Matt Fink. If he does end up, uh, ultimately leaving USC, this now means it's a two, essentially a two man race in fall camp for starting quarterback. Does that change the dynamic at all? When you take away one quarterback? Uh, I, I think that you, if it is a true two man and they give those guys equal reps and, you know, Keaton Slovis doesn't get the same amount, then yeah, I think it does because you saw in spring camp, all four guys were getting pretty equal reps, yeah. you know, rotating in with the second team, rotating in with the first team, you know, one guy would be over doing run periods, one guy would be doing seven on seven, they switch it the next day. I think if you, if Fink is gone, then it becomes the question of, does, do you want Slovis taking the same amount of reps as those other two guys? And that's basically what you had last year. You know, all three guys in the fall were taking the same amount of reps JT Daniels wins that battle. He becomes a starting quarterback. Do you do that again? Or do you say, okay, well, Slovis is the new guy. He's the freshman. You know, he's shown some good flashes in the spring. We're going to go ahead and put him in third and say, all right, you two guys battle it out. It, it, it kind of depends on where 
they see each of the guys and how the, how close that battle is for the coaching staff. Is it JT's way ahead of everybody, and then you got the other two guys battling for the backup position? Is it JT and Jack Sears way above Keen Slovis? Um, or is it everybody's all three of them are bunched together? You, you don't really know exactly what it is, and I think that will determine you know how many reps they give and you know how how many reps you give tells you a lot about what you think about each of the quarterbacks as well. So we'll see what in the fall. That's something we won't really know until you know we get into fall camp and seeing you know how they kind of uh, disperse those and, and or distribute those and and figure out what they want to do with that position and what they're looking for in that position before they name a starter going into the season. Yeah, and based on what Grant Harrell said, he said that. Uh, eventually you'll know just by their play and by their reps who the leader is and who the guy will be. So you have to assume that at some point they're going to start modifying reps more so than probably what we saw with the whole JT Daniels, Jack Sears, Matt Fink thing in 2018, where, you know, once we got into the season, you heard wide receivers go, yeah, we didn't really have enough reps with JT to get comfortable until game four, you know? So I, I hopefully just for USC sake, they start limiting those reps for guys who aren't going to be the starter. Yeah, and it just depends on what they're looking for in that position. Yep. You know, is it just going to be the leadership and they feel like they can plug and play? You know, that and then they'll determine that over the summer who's, you know, who's leading the team, who are the players talking about this is the guy we'll follow or are they looking for athleticism out of the pocket and you want Jack Sears, you want more of a guy like Kyler Murray, Murray or you want a guy like Baker Mayfield that can, you know, when the play breaks down can make more things happen. Jack Sears does that better. Do you want a guy who's going to be, you know, it's going to be able to dissect stuff uh, probably a little bit more quick than that's probably JT Daniels. I mean, it just depends on what they're looking for in that position and what they're trying to get out of the quarterback. It, you know, if they want a run first guy, then, you know, you would have thought that Matt Fink would have probably been up a little bit higher on, on the list. But so I think it tells you that with him being third, I think you're looking at more. They want to just throw those quick passes, get the ball out, out of the pocket really quickly and the athleticism. And that's good if you have it, but it's not a you know a determining factor in that race. So we'll see though you know as they go and you know what we hear from the quarterbacks is is they talk to us about how the uh, kind of the battle progresses in the fall too. Yeah, and, and Graham Harrell had been asked multiple times about mobility, specifically in terms of Jack Sears, and he didn't really say that was a a defining quality of who the starting quarterback is going to be. Um, but I asked Ryan and Dan this on the on the Dan Pod. What do you think Graham Harrell's influence will be on PRPs? Do you think, because what we've seen of PRPs before has been kind of a scripted practice, something that we've seen in normal times during spring camp or fall camp, but for PRPs, do you think Graham Harrell, since it's not necessarily a scripted practice in that sense, will kind of open it up more and, and we'll see more fun in PRPs? You know, that's an interesting question because when you only run a handful of plays, you know, how much script do you really need there? Yeah. Uh, so I think that maybe you open it up, maybe you just, you know, the, you play a little ball, you know, go out, put the ball down and let them play and, you know, see what kind of adjustments the defense makes on the fly, see what kind of adjustments the offense makes to the defense, all those type of things. I think those are coming to play and that's what I'd like to see. You yeah. know, if you're only going to have a small playbook, then you don't have to rehearse everything over and over and over again in the, in the summer, I don't think. But they also did say that, you know, that that's what they want to do. They want to get as many reps in so that it's, you know, a second nature that they can just, you know, they make the reads off of it every time and they know exactly what's going to happen. That's it's hard to, to figure out the, the, the balance there that you want between having fun and going out and going after it a little bit in the summer rather than what they've done the last couple summers where it's very tame, you know, very, you know, it's very pulled back, I guess, I would say, compared to, you know, kind of the battles that there were in some of the, the summers previously. I mean, 
you had guys get injured, which is unfortunate, but you, you had guys going full speed and competing and, and going at it, and you that's when you were able to determine, like, okay, that Deontay Burnett guy, he, he can play a little bit. Yeah. And we'll see if he gets some some play, early playing time or something. You know, the same thing with guys like Juju and, you know, Steven Mitchell before he got hurt. You know, those, just look, thinking of the receivers, those guys all stood out in the summer workouts. And that's what you want to see. You want to see who's going to go in there and, you know, want to compete and want to go after guys. And, you know, I think that it's, it's better for the team to have that competitive fire than to work on six scripted plays over and over and over. Yeah. And that's essentially what I said on the podcast, because I just feel like when you script PRPs, it makes it so monotonous and not fun. And the things that make PRPs fun are, you know, the Adori Juju battles where they're just laughing while going through a rep and, and, you know, having competitiveness. You, I think it makes the players really burnt out if you do scripted practices throughout June and July and then go into fall and do the same exact thing. It kind of makes you bored. And I don't think you can be competitive and be bored at the same time. You know, I, I just don't think you can. So I think summer is the time to have fun to a certain extent. Remember why you're playing football. And then once you get into fall camp, it's business time and you know what you're doing and you have experience from the summer. You know, I just think introducing more fun into PRPs won't hurt the team. It's also much easier to be for it to be monotonous and not fun when you've just busted your tail for probably an hour and a half or two hours in your workout with Aaron Osmus now, you know, because those PRPs are coming after they've worked out and done yeah. their conditioning and stuff. You know, you're dead tired and now you want us to run, you know, the same plays over and over. It, it, yeah, you can, there can be a lack of energy there easily. So I, I think if you, you open it up, have a little bit of fun, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, completely agree. I'm moving on to something that's going to happen this weekend, starting on Thursday. The NFL Draft is here. Shotgun, what do you think about USC's prospects as far as guys getting in? It seems like Chumadoga is the the leader for first picked. What is your lay of the land? Yeah, Chumadoga seems like he's gained a lot of ground since the end of the season. I, I think when he went to the Senior Bowl, he showed out and 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 showed that he can be. Both a you know can be a tackle or a guard at the next level. He's got really long arms, and and you know that I don't think that people necessarily saw that. And he even told me he said he, he thought he had a bad rap, you know, as far as not being coachable. And he tried to show that to the coaches at the Senior Bowl, and when he's had NFL uh, when he went to the NFL Combine and talking to teams and stuff, he tried to show that you know I don't he didn't know where that came from necessarily, but you know he, he's not a guy that's going to go hang out with the coaches after the after practice, but he's going to give give you what he's got at practice. So I, I think that he's moved his way up the draft boards, you know, maybe even second round. You know, that's probably a ceiling for him there. I don't think he's finding his way in the first round. You don't see that. Uh, I don't see that climb coming, but. You know, depending on how the draft plays out, you know, I think he's kind of next in line at that second to third round level. And it just depends on where he can find a good fit. You know, that's the whole thing with the draft is you want to be drafted high in the first round if you can, because there's a lot of money there. But after that, it's all about finding fit. If you're if you're not drafted in the first or early second round after the top 30, after the top 40 to 50 picks, basically, you just want to be drafted by someone that's. You know, you fit in well. Either there's going to be early playing time or you can be coached up and you can become a, a better player, those type of things. Because from the middle of second to the end of the draft, you know, the money's not that much different than becoming a free agent and getting a good contract there. Because, you know, you look at like a George Farmer, he had like a pretty good contract for being an undrafted free agent. So, I mean, there's a little bit more money when you're drafted, but it's better to be in a good position 
where there's not a lot of depth at the position you play or that you know that, that they do they use that position a lot so that you can work your way up and you get to that next contract rather than that rookie contract. So that that's the big thing and you know that's going to be the interesting thing is to see where these guys end up. And I'm interested to see where Iman Marshall and Marvell Tell end up and what position they're playing. Yeah, great question. Because you know we had the talk uh after the USC Pro Day that you know, Biggie Marshall was working out at safety. Some teams want to see him at safety. Some teams want to see Marvell Tell at corner. So did USC have two players in the flip-flop positions, you know, from what there will be in the NFL? We'll see. You know, also with Porter Gustin, obviously the the, the drug test, that he felt a drug test came out to today and that, you know, did he had approval for it. So I don't think that's going to hurt his stock necessarily because he had already been approved previously, even though this, this – uh, Failed drug test did come out because he had Adderall in the system, uh, but he had been approved for it by the NFL. So I don't think that's going to hurt him, but I, I think still he's a guy that he's got to find the right system. You know, yeah. it's going to be a team that's looking for a three-four defense, uh, a three-four outside linebacker. I don't think he can play as a true defensive end. So he's a guy that's got to got to be in the right place. So I, I think that's part of the thing we're looking for here is who goes where and do they fit in those places because. You know, if Porter Gustin goes to somewhere and there's a four three, or he's there for a year and they make change, they change their defense and go to a four three. I don't know that he fits necessarily. So, can he find the right place? And then, can he stay healthy uh, for him? You know, can he stay healthy? Chuma Doga, same thing. Can he stay healthy and be on the field all the time instead of being nicked up? So, I, I think that these guys still have a great opportunity. They're not where coming out of high school. You expected Iman Marshall to be a first round pick. You know, you expected a guy like Marvell Tell with all the tools he has, maybe he'll work his way up in the first or second round. Chuma Doga, he was the first off, number one offensive lineman in his class. Maybe he works it. Maybe he stays in the first round. Maybe you know he's falling a little bit from where you would probably expect him. But you know, it's not exactly where you expected four years ago, or you know, when this class came in. But I think all the the guys in that class still have an opportunity to, to find success. I think Arkansas Cedric Ware can hook on with the team and be a guy that you know that that makes some noise in a couple years from now. You may not hear about him now, but you know, it could be somebody like Buck Allen. Yeah. You know, Buck Allen was drafted, but I believe he was drafted, but he, you know, ends up with the Ravens and takes up, takes over, you know, their starting position and was a three down back for him, could come in on third downs and catch the ball before he took over as a starter. And, you know, and he just got paid in free agency, I do believe. So, you know, th- those type of guys can still find success at the next level. So I'm curious to see where the guys go on Saturday and Sunday. I don't think anybody's getting in there on Friday or, or no, excuse me, on Friday and Saturday, the second two days of the draft. And then I'm also curious what transpires over the next 24 hours after that. Yeah. Where do guys like a Jenna Harris end up signing with? I don't think he's going to get drafted, but where is he going to get signed? And can he find somewhere where he, where they use a slot nickel a lot? Can he become a guy like Nikhil Roby Coleman who was not drafted, but look what he did, you know, found a home, became a guy in the slot and then got the contract with the Rams, and obviously he blew up this year with the with the non call in the uh, yeah. in the NFC Championship game, and you know he was there in the Super Bowl and he was making plays, and he's a guy that made plays for the Rams all through the season, and that's what somebody like a Jenna Harris could do, but he's got to find the right fit. Yeah, Buck Allen was drafted in the fourth round. Fourth round, just okay. for your, um, you mentioned the 2015 class and and where they were projected when they first were signed with USC is that an indictment on USC's player development that this is where they're at now compared to where what we thought four years ago yeah definitely I think it is and I think it's also an indictment on how much has changed since when they signed you know when you have so much turnover turnover and so much turmoil it's more difficult to to improve year over year 
You know, the, when you go through what they've gone through with the off the field stuff and now with all the scandals at the school, yeah. it's, you know, when your coaches are looking over their shoulder at what's going on around them and all the crazy stuff, then it makes it that much more difficult. And the fact that, you know, a guy like Dominic Davis now, I, I believe he was in the 2014 class, uh, but a guy like Dominic Davis comes in, he signs with Steve Sarkeesian to be used in a spread offense, you know, similar to the air raid. Uh, in the 2015 class he was. But he would have been dynamic in the Washington State offense, yep. which is where he was committed beforehand. But you know, Steve Sarkeesian was going to use a guy like that. He was going to use him in the slot, going to use a door in the slot and do some different things. But then all the things happened with Steve Sarkeesian, Clay Helton's offense and, and with T. Martin and, and Tyson Helton was not going to use that the same way. They wanted the slot receiver to be more like Deontay Burnett, more than a shifty guy in the middle rather than DeAnthony Thomas, you know. Deontay versus DeAnthony. That was kind of the what the what you desire with the offense. So you know a guy like that, his role changes. You know, you know you bring a different defense in. A guy like Christian Rector, his role changes. How are those guys able to to transform uh, and be molded into a different player when you know it's a different defense they're coming in and you know that they've gone through a couple different DB coaches. So obviously those DBs have sometimes going through a couple coaches is good because you learn from each of them differently. But other times, it you know you learn one thing, and another guy comes in and says, "No, do it this way." And so I think that they, their development was stunning by all the stuff that was going on around them. Definitely. The interesting thing about the 2015 class is that like if everyone turned out what they were kind of expected to be, and you have a couple guys that were kind of projects, you're like, "Oh, that guy turns out." That class could have been one of the best of all time. I think. Really. It is. I mean, number one cornerback. Uh, you had five-star defensive lineman in Rasheem Green. You got a, a five-star offensive lineman in, in Chuma Doga. Five-star linebacker in Osa Messina. You got Ronald Jones. You got Porter Gustin, John Houston, Cam Smith. Guys that all started and played for forever. Marvell Tell. You know Jacob Daniel was supposed to be a you know a plug-and-play guy in the middle of the line, but you know defensive line. But he was you know coming off an injury in high school. Yakili Ross was a dynamic two-way player. We'll skip Ricky Town. <laughs> But Isaiah Langley was supposed to be a guy that, that you know in a couple of years could be could get into the starting lineup. Obviously, Sam Darnold wasn't the guy that was expected to come in and you know do what he did. But you know you look at the potential there. Tyler Petit was supposed to be a pass catching tight end. Noah Jefferson showed so much athleticism at the defensive attack. Like there are some guys in this yeah. group who are just like oh if that guy would have turned out yeah. you know I wonder I wonder how it would have been different you know if. if you know, if things would have played out a little bit differently kind of thing. True. And you had a guy like Clayton Bradley is a four-star lineman who blue shirts, you know, because he wants to be a part of this class, and he hasn't had success. Daquan Hampton and Isaac Whitney were in that class. Those guys could have been, you know, if they would have gotten a little bit more opportunity, maybe they would have had some better numbers. You know, there's just a, a ton of potential in that cl- that group that didn't all pan out. And, it, I mean, it starts with Messina at the top. Yeah. Five-star linebacker who was you know, expected to come in and compete right away and instead, it was Cam Smith. You know, Cam Smith was the lowest rated of those four linebackers, but Cam Smith came with a chip on his shoulder, and he got the defense down, learned everything, and he Early was ready and to early, go. Yep. Yeah, yeah. See, what's funny is if you had said that description and said apply that either to the 2015 or 2016 class, I would have said 2016. But now hearing your your explanation, I also agree with the 2015 class as well. I mean, at the bottom of the 2015 class is Kevin Scott. He's the lowest ranked on that group, you know, by our rankings, but. Man, that guy, you know, they looked at him and said, "That's a, there's a ton of potential there. You know, that's a guy who's going to de- develop. He's going to be a three-year guy probably before he gets on the field. But, you know, if he, he develops because he, I think he'd only played football for a year and a half or so before he signed with USC. So, 
that's a guy that you know looking at his tape, you're like, I see that there's you know, there's potential there, but you know that's the bottom of your class. You're like, yeah, Kevin Scott could be a guy eventually. And yeah. that's what you kind of want. You want that high-end talent at the top, and you want at the bottom, you want some guys like, oh, that guy, you know, if he works, he could be a guy later. You know, that could be a guy two or three days down the road. But, you know, that necessarily didn't happen with that group. I think that wraps it up for the newsier section of the top of the show, correct? Okay. Whatever. Shall we get into <laughs> I just didn't know if you wanted to add anything else. I ain't got that. Okay. Well, moving on to now that spring camp is over, we have a final overall spring stock up stock down i'm gonna get us started stock up i'm just gonna list all of them because i have too many so stock up jt philly stock up drake jackson stock up michael Pittman. i thought he really came on towards the end um dan called it an all-american practice or a type of all-american practices i forgot what i called that first i said that first but you tweeted he called it, it out huh you tweeted out that dan said it yeah i was going off of you yeah, but, well, you know, Dan's got more clout than I do. He's got street cred. He's got... <laughs> I know. You know, when Warren G tells you something, that's what exactly. you know. A part of me thinks he really turned it on towards the end because he was healthier. Um, heard that things happened with his shoulder over the offseason, so maybe that's what happened. Not sure. First truly clean spring for him. First time yep. he has not had any injuries through a, through a Maybe even any camp, but definitely spring camp. Yep. For I mean, sure. he's, he's dealt with ankle injuries, dealt with a broken finger, I think it was, at one point, or thumb. That's, I think it was thumb. Uh, so he's dealt with a lot of stuff in, in USC's camp. So hopefully that carries over to the fall. want to see him have a you know a big year. Or know he can have a big year. Wanted to see him have a healthy year so yeah. he can live what up to his, his potential. What is his ceiling when he, he's healthy? That's Ooh, the real question. I, I mean, the, the question is, he, he's his ceiling is being the leading receiver and being an all-pack 12 type of receiver. Now the question is, how much is the ball going to be spread out amongst a bunch of different receivers? Or you know is is somebody going to become, are they going to be two go-to guys? Are they going to be, you know, how exactly is it going to be distributed? I don't know that yet. Don't know either. Uh, fourth, stock up, Almora St. Brown. Mm-hmm. I thought he was great again. Um, nice seeing him come to his own in his first spring. Very uh, picked off where he left off, where you, you don't really notice his age. Because he's slightly still young. but he, he Still looks, a baby. He's, he works like an upperclassman, so stock up for him. Okay, I got Marquis Step. I don't know if you're going to get to him, but. Yes. Okay, so I got Marquis Step. I just want, I'm tired of waiting around, so I'll throw one in. Marquis Step, you know, he had a big spring. He, he took advantage of extra opportunities when they were when they were there, and you know, he's a guy that does not fit the mold of the air raid offense. However, he's shown that he should be a part of it. They should, you know, game plan to include him as well. I think that's that's big for him. You know, he has an opportunity to get some get some playing time this fall. When you bring an air raid offense and you go, that's the guy that looks like he might be the guy that will eventually transfer out because he just doesn't fit the exact needs of the air raid offense. But he showed he can make some plays, and I think that that's a positive for USC's running back core as well. Yeah, great points by you. I had stock up for Ben Griffiths. Um, I talked about this on the Dan pod, but I thought, you know, you can't even say that USC's punting game was at a neutral last season. It was almost at a negative. You know, they averaged... 38.7 38.7 yards of punt last season and it was one of those things where every time they would go back to punt you kind of held your breath a little bit like where is this going to go how is this going to affect the team so I think now it's a weapon more so than maybe a detriment or putting USC's defense in a hard spot so stock up for Ben Griffiths I think you would just say stock up for the punting I don't know that it was necessarily I mean Ben Griffiths is why the punting is better but I think it's stock up for the punting overall rather than just Ben Griffiths being stock up because he comes in and he transforms that unit True. Because last year you had two scholarship guys. They were competing early in the year because they were both bad. 
now, Reed Budrovich got more consistent as the season progressed, and he was fine at the end of the year, but it was never a weapon, like you say. So I think he is definitely is going to be a weapon for them because of the different ways he can kick the ball. You know, Sometimes he's rolling one way and kick it the other way. And that comes from the Aussie rules football where you have to kick the ball on the run sometimes. And it's a unique skill set that is going to be added to that thing. I think that I was excited to see Ben Griffiths when he got here just because you know, watching some of his tape of him just kicking the ball and Australian rules football and different things is like, this guy's got a leg. He's, he's going to boom it. So, you know, I was just interested to see him. But I think, you know, I don't know that his stock was where his stock started at. I think his stock is just already starting high. I don't think that his stock is rising. I think he can go higher. It went higher. I didn't well, know if what. He wins the, if he wins the Ray Guy Award, then yeah. Sure, but I just think, okay, sure. Let's go with punting. The punting is up. <laughs> Whatever, Shotgun. What's your next talk up? I got Brandon Peely. You went through all the other defensive linemen, it seemed like. Uh, uh, no, I didn't have Marlon. Okay. Even though eh, he kind of counts, too. Yeah, stock unchanged there. He's the second best guy there. But Brandon Peely really stepped his game up, and the coaching staff has mentioned him multiple times. Said that he basically had a sophomore slump. You know, he, yep. he he was not expected to play his freshman year, but when Marlon Tuipolotu went down with the back injury, he was kind of thrust in there. And he had a pretty good second half of the season, you know, being thrown in there as a true freshman. So we expected him to take a big jump that second year, as I've talked about, that is always kind of expected. Didn't happen last year. However, it now appears to be his time, you know, coming for that jump. And, and I think he's really taking his game to the next level. And if he can be that him and Marlon in the middle of the defense, that can really clog up the running lanes, can really stuff things up for, for offenses and force them to do other things. Yeah, I was actually very interested that Clay Heldon was pretty upfront with about with the situation with Peely. He was like, we expected more from him in 2018, and, and we told him coming into spring we need to see more from him. So um, I like that honesty of where, where Peely was at and where he is right now. So I agree, stock up. I also had stock up for Keenan Slovis. I think that one's pretty much a given. Uh, people weren't expecting much from him coming into to USC, especially as a, a young early enrollee that was deemed a three-star um, and I think he's proven that he has he has potential and he can grow under the system. Um, I think he definitely was given more of an advantage because he didn't have to unlearn things, unlearn a playbook like the other guys. But uh, overall, I think his stock is up. Yep, I, I thought that was a, a great call there. The last one I have, I don't know how many you have left, but I got Graham Harrell. I okay, I my last one as well. I put Graham Harrell, deleted it, and put USC's coaching staff. I put Graham Harrell because you hear that, okay, he's had a new air raid. Graham Harrell's done some good things in North Texas. Still a lot of question marks when he comes in. And I think that, you know, all the people that have watched their practices have come away, you know, encouraged for the offense's sake from what they've seen from Graham Harrell. From going up and watching on top of the baseball field and doing other things like that. Clay Helton even talked about how, you know, he's been impressed with Graham Harrell. You, know, you, you can see a guy and see the production on paper. Wow, North Texas offense has been really good. North Texas plays in what conference? Uh, the Sun Belt, I think. If you don't know the conference of a team, that kind of tells you, okay, well, we don't know the competition level there. But then to come out and to see what this offense has done this spring, and especially with limited numbers at receiver, limited numbers at tight end, uh, offensive line is very inexperienced. And they were able to still do some nice things against the defense. We'll see how it translates in the fall. That's still a big question to be answered. They're still got to figure out who's actually going to be the starting quarterback. You know, there's a lot of things that are going to go on through the summer where Graham Harrell wishes he was out there, could have his hands on with the quarterbacks and, and with the offense. Not going to happen, but they can meet with them, do different things. 
So we'll see how it continues, but I think everyone comes away encouraged with the offense from where it was last year at this time in spring to where it is now. Yeah, I think we walked away impressed every time we had a, a media scrum with Graham Harrell. You can just tell that he knows what he's talking about, and he knows what he wants from this offense, where I feel like in past offenses – it was gumbo was a gumbo. They weren't sure what they wanted and how they wanted to do it. And thus they didn't have any answers or how they wanted to fix it. So I think stock up for Graham Harrell as well. I think stock up for UC's coaching staff. I think it's a better fit for the, the coaches. I think Tim Drevno moving to O-line, um, moving all those guys around, you know, we've Kerry covered Colbert it from tight ends to yes, wide receivers. We've, we've, we've covered it. And I think the chemistry, I think they have more chemistry. It works better now. Um, I don't know why that necessarily is the case, but I think you can just see it better. The chemistry shows on the field, and so stock up for, for that. Next category, stock neutral. It's not a category. It's a category. So just I, go on with your thing. I'm not even going to listen to this because why? it's, not, it's not a thing. If a stock doesn't change, it doesn't change. It's still a point. Anyways, go. I have the offensive line on stock neutral because, one, I'm not sure where I stand with it. Two, I think they've shown positive flashes. Like you said, they're an inexperienced group, but I think the guys who have who have been the starting five have really stepped up. I think Brett Nealand has been really consistent, more consistent than the starter last year, and so I think that's good. I like that Tim Drevno chose the five and stuck with them. Uh, Neil Calloway used to do a lot of rotation during times like spring camp where you just didn't know who was going to be the guy, um, but I think depth is an issue. The drop-off between first team and second team is a big drop off talent wise and can they actually run the ball consistently i'm not sure how do their wide splits work out going forward i'm not sure so i just have a lot of question marks i think it's it's promising but i just am not sure and i don't feel like they're proven uh the part about tim drevno sticking with a, a line rather than mixing and matching i think is much more of a product of what you just said after it that there's a big drop off from first yeah. to second oh yeah so I don't know that they have given credit that credit. Is uh, it out of necessity or something? I think it's more out of necessity. I think if Bernard Shermer was ready to compete, if Clayton Bradley was ready to compete, you would do more mixing and matching there because uh, I've said this many times in the past that you're going to have offensive line injuries during a season. You're going to have running back injuries during a season. So it's best to get the guy in there. You know, Last year you would want to have Elijah Vera Tucker mix in at the guard spot so that when something happens or have Jalen McKenzie mix in at the – tackle spots so that when Chuma Adoga gets injured you have someone that has been in and has had some experience playing side by side with someone rather than just being completely fresh and does isn't used to the same calls or yeah. isn't used to working with the same person on a double team block or whatever it may be yeah I mean how what were you, your takeaways overall from the offensive line this spring it obviously wasn't stock neutral oh oh Ooh, is that a preview for what's coming next? no because I don't believe in stock neutral okay no what I'm saying is is it going to be on your stock down no, it's not on my stock down. Uh, I just think that the offensive line is still a big question mark. I don't know that we know too much about it because of there's some guys that could be in that mix to compete that aren't there yet. Yeah. I mean, do you really think Bernard Shermer is... is I think could, he's a viable candidate if he's with the team, which is still a question that, mark. That's the big question mark. Clay Hilton... In my mind, he's like a solo where I'm not going to... I can't really... Or I see that. I understand what you're saying, and Clayton Bradley is the bigger one that could compete at one of the tackle spots. But even what we what we've seen from him, he lost that job in fall camp. Who's to say it wasn't an injury? Okay. If he if he's missed the entire spring and you know it was a back injury, maybe that was something that was lingering from the season. And that was part of the reason. You know, Stephen Carr. You see the difference in him from pre back injury to post back injury, or even Marlon Tuipolotu. 
Uh, you know, it takes time to work back. So maybe that's part of the reason why he lost that position. Um, and I don't know how much you can take away from this spring. Just is because how much full pad running the ball type of stuff did you did you see? There was there was some drills and stuff, but it wasn't a full on full onslaught of it. I don't think so. I think that's the big question mark with this group that we don't know. Yeah, I would agree. Before we move on to stock down, I gotta give shouts to the nation, stock neutral nation. We out there, baby. Uh, Hulky Pokey tweeted me that he's all in or she is all in for stock neutral. Shouts to Hulky Pokey. <laughs> and uh, Lawrence says, hashtag stock neutral gang. Gang, gang, we out there. And Brett says, I'm all in for stock neutral. Can't wait for the podcast. Thanks, Brett. We love our loyal nation. <laughs> the eye rolls coming from Shotgun are incredible right now. Uh-huh. Moving on to stock down, what you got? Let's just continue what we were just talking about. I got the run game. You know, yeah. I, I think that the run game, there's a lot of question marks there. And I think... Maybe we expected there to be a little bit more movement on it. Um, I'm going to get into it. My heard it, heard it that Clay Helton disagrees with us. Yeah. But, you know, I just don't feel like that there's that consistency there yet. And I thought maybe you would see more gash runs and stuff, which you see in the, in the air raid offense more, where you get, you know, because you spread out the defense so much, suddenly there's a seam and a guy takes it 80 or 90 yards. I don't think we saw that too much. I mean, Marquis Step had a couple big runs, but – that was sometimes against walk-ons, and they were just taking really bad angles sometimes, like the one in the showcase. You know, that yeah. probably shouldn't have been a 60-yard run. But yeah, Mike Jinks was asked about it. He was like, it, "Was it supposed to look as good as it was spo- as it looked?" And he was like, eh, "Not so much." <laughs> so, so I just don't know that that they've gotten to where they want to be with that group yet, and and the question marks are still there with that group. So I got them for stock down. Yeah, I would agree with that. So I had stock down on the future of the starting cornerbacks. Um, you mentioned it on the show before. I just there was an open door for guys to really step in there and be the guy, and I don't feel like anyone's really taken a hold of that opportunity. There have been flashes. Uh, Dominic Davis was cheered on a lot during the final practice. I know OG's out right now, and, and guys will come in the fall. I just this would be a time for if you're f- going to feel good about USC secondary, it would be guys have shown up and they've shown that they can shut guys down and and that didn't happen. So to me, the secondary, the cornerbacks, it's a real question mark. And I think USC success, spoiler alert for the whole podcast, I think USC success next season is going to really come down to the secondary and the line. Similar. I got QB separation on stock down. Yeah. There's been no QB separation similar to last, uh, last spring where you had a two man battle with Fink and Sears. You want to see somebody take that step and say, Hey, you know, I know JT Daniels is coming in the fall. They got to beat me. That wasn't the case. It was like, hey, JT Daniels is coming. He can join in our little little battle we're having. I think that was similar this year. That you know, you got four guys that were up and down. And I think it's partly is because you're installing a new offense and it's pretty simple. And it's going to be who is the most efficient in this offense and who can lead the offense more than who can connect on the deep ball, which was more the offense last year. Yeah. Who can make the hard throw over the middle? Who can you know find seams type of thing? I think now it's going to be who can make the offense go, who can be the engine that creates the offense rather than who can, you know, hook up with a wide receiver deep or something like that. So um, I just think that, that that's part of the reason why there hasn't been that separation. But I think it's, it's, it's a negative for USC that no one's kind of established themselves and that they're still kind of, well, where is Keaton Slovis? How's he fit in? Where are Jack Sears and Matt? We don't really know because no one's kind of separated. I mean, we all have said on the message board, we think JT Daniels is still the starter right now. I don't think anyone, you know, outshined him, but I also don't think he, you know, was like that's definitely the guy. 
I don't think he did anything to detract his spot, but he didn't do anything to push him higher. Yeah, I think that that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I think it's a little bit better way to say it. But yeah, there's been no separation in the quarterback race necessarily. It's still four guys kind of bunched together. And now it's maybe it's three uh, with Fink News, but still three guys that are pretty close together, which means that your battle continues. Whereas if you've separated in the, in the spring, you go into the summer and you say, okay, that guy's the leader. That's the guy that's going to do run all the player run practices. When we go to the fall, that's the guy that's going to get all the first team reps. Instead of now, you're going to be like, okay, we're going to continue to mix and match how we did the spring, and you're just not going to get as many reps with the same guys. So I think that it would have been, would have been better if they would have had some separation there. So I got stocked down that they did not. I agree. Do you think for someone like Graham Harrell, it's a, a tad concerning that no one really uh, separated themselves in that way? Um, I don't know. I just think that this offense is is kind of plug and play, as yeah. has been mentioned, and that it's a work in progress when you're in your first spring in a new offense. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, my final stock down is just I have just a lot of questions about the defense right now. <laughs> um, you know what's happening with the Sam position? What's the plan for John Houston and Jordan Isefa? Are they going to split time? You know, Mike is not really something that you like rotate guys through. I just don't know what's happening there. There's I also have John Houston slash Jordan Isefa on my stock down just because those are your two most experienced guys. Yeah. And they're playing the same spot. So yeah, what, exactly. what is that? Now, I would not be surprised at all to see Jordan Isefa move somewhere. Yeah. But then, I that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't understand this whole experimentation spring thing then. You know, maybe because they have, I mean, Jordan ISF is the guy that they're like, hey, you've never played this position before. We're in the Notre Dame game, but do it because we trust you, <laughs> you know? So maybe that's, it goes to that whole theory, but I just don't understand why you're going to use spring for this type of experimentation. It's, I mean, that's, in spring is when you do this type of experimentation. True, but. I just don't understand the, the experiment itself. I don't know exactly what you're trying to get out of it. Maybe you're trying to say, Hey, can Jordan Isefa beat out John Houston and we'll go John Houston will get benched. That's the only thing uh, that's the only real possibility I can think there. Unless you're saying, "Hey, we're going to try both of these guys out and it's a new position for John Houston because he switches over from the will to the mic." But you're going to say, "Hey, we'll figure out which of these guys can actually call the defense all the time." Now that might be the experiment you're trying to figure out. And spring is when you do it. You're yeah. like, "I think you determine Pali and Itiote is going to be in one of those spots." Like that guy is he's just got too much talent for us to keep him on the bench. Okay. Well, we got these two experienced guys. Which one do we think is going to be a better do a better job calling the defense? Let's try them both there during the spring. And we trust that if we need to, if it's John Houston, we can move Jordan ISF on another spot. We trust him to play all these different spots. It doesn't take him that long to learn stuff. He's just he knows the whole defense type of thing. I think that's probably the experiment they were having. But the way Clay Helton talked about it. At the, he was asked about it at the last practice. He didn't really provide any guidance for where that position is going from now. So maybe we'll learn in the PRPs. Maybe we'll see that one of those guys has shifted somewhere else, and that might be, you know, we talked to them a little bit in July, I think, is when we first get to talk to them. But then we'll find out a little bit more. But, yeah, it's just kind of confusing that you put your two most experienced defenders um, in the same spot together. And Clancy Pendergast said on Thursday that he let, for the beginning of the practice, John Houston and Jordan Isefa lead the group and lead the drills for what they're going to do in PRP. So, obviously, Clancy's deemed them as the upperclassmen senior leaders. So, you're going to split them and playing time? Like, I just... I'm just curious. And also, there was never really an explanation given. So that's I think that's part of the reason why they're in the stock down for us is because 
we just don't understand exactly what the coaching staff was trying to do. We asked about it, didn't really explain it again. So uh, I think that's where we're at. What else you got on Stockdown? Anybody else? That's it. I got Tyler Vaughn's as well. Wow. Now, you mentioned Amon Ross St. Brown and Michael Pittman Jr., both in your stock up. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Tyler Vaughn's is not up there, I think that, I mean, I, you, you going into last season, you said, all right, you got Michael Pittman Jr. and Tyler Vaughn's, and we'll see what Amon Ross St. Brown does in the slot. Now you're saying, we got Amon Ross St. Brown, we got Michael Pittman, we'll see what Tyler Vaughn's does. So I think he's, you know, I think Amon Ross St. Brown has surpassed him, you know, as far as the pecking order in, in that group. And maybe it's just because the offense, Fits I'm on Rob Brown St. Brown's uh, style a little bit more. I'm not sure, but Tyler Vaughn just did not show out as much as those other two guys did this spring. So I think he's dropped down a little bit. So I got I got his stock declining a little bit. Yeah, I think that's valid. I think we also saw, saw it towards the end of 2018. You know, you saw Michael Pittman really come on towards the end of the season, and and Tyler Vaughn's who did have more of a role in the beginning of the season, kind of fall into the background. I don't think it's a huge decline, but he has been on the decline. It is notable. Anyways, that's my stock down. Alrighty, shall we move on? Sure. Alrighty, well, let's move to Herd It on the sideline. Shotgun, what do you got? Let's start with Clay Helton talking about, I teased this earlier, but he's talking about the run game. Now, we looked at the run game and go, yeah, we don't really know what's going on there. Yeah, they haven't been able to run the ball consistently. Yeah, they made a couple plays. You know, there's a couple long runs with Marquis Step. You saw Vi have a touchdown in the last uh, you know run period and stuff. And technically, they finished the game running from like the, I think like the two yard line, so like goal line plays, and the offense won the final practice. To Clay Helton, that was they can run the ball. He said, "Offensively, man, I'm really fired up right now. I love the passing game, but our backs right now and our offensive line were able to physically run the ball. I don't think we saw that. So you know, I'm still a little concerned about the run game and the fact that they feel like they're there when we haven't seen it." You know, we haven't consistently seen them running the ball. We haven't seen them pushing guys around. They haven't been, you know, I, I just don't know. I think this goes back, and we talked about this on the live show, you know, where there weren't sometimes last year they weren't being realistic about their deficiencies and attacking those. Keeley said that. Thank you for the credit. Fine, you said it. You're pointing <laughs> to yourself, you know, like you're like this is like a cartoon where you like suddenly all the, the, arrows, the arrows are pointing to where no, Bugs Bunny is. It was a subtle point. Uh-huh, subtle. It was. When are you ever subtle? <laughs> Um, anyways, so yes, you brought this point up on the live show and, and I think, it, I think this is similar, you know, this is a deficiency that are they being realistic with it and attacking their deficiencies that, that I'm not sure about, I, you know, I'm just that they're physically, that, that we're able to physically run the ball is what he said. I, and with the offensive line, I just, I don't think I've seen that yet. That's where I think Clay Hilton kind of gets himself in trouble. You don't have to glowingly praise everything. You know, and I think that hurts his credibility sometimes. So, you know, when he says, I really like this person or whatever, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt because he's very hyperbolic. So, I mean, even on instant, Gerard was like, I just don't see what Clay Helton saw on Saturday. So I'm just curious what what motivates him to overly praise in that sense. Yeah, I, I think that you don't have to do that every time. And if you do it too much, then even when you do it to a player and say, man, that was a great player, great love the way you're doing this, sometimes you're like, okay, well, what's my position coach think? Because he's giving out that praise at all times. Yeah. I think you have to be honest, and maybe he does think they can run the ball, but I just don't think we've seen that. I don't think we consistently saw that during the spring, which when he said that, it was kind of like, what? What? 
You said what? Yeah, I, w- I would have to agree. On my heard it, I had Chad K and Johnny Nansen. I really liked the energy that they brought in the final practice of spring. They were very vocal in Saturday's practice, so much so that uh, it really stood out to me and it wasn't something that we've seen in the, the prior 15 practices. And I think it made the defensive line in the front seven respond well. Um, you saw a higher level of intensity. They responded to that verbal expectations that they set on the on the on the defense on the defenders so i like that they do that i was talking with gerard i wish they would have done that more i think you they saw great results from the defensive line by doing that and i think holding the players accountable in that kind of way is a positive sign so i like that sprinkle that in and they seem like they're going to be uh the enforcers on this team I mean, it's positive to have coaches that are doing that as long as you have the balance, as we talked about pre- uh, previously. And Chad K, for his credit, has a duality. I mentioned he was yelling at the players, but he also, Brandon Peely did something that he liked, and it was Brandon Peely's turn to come off the field. So Chad K walked with him to the sideline and said, like, hey, I like this, blah, 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 and, and, and coached him up and did it in a positive way. So I think that duality, uh, you've seen a good response from the d- defensive lineman as far as the tough love and also the, the coaching and, and more of a friendship type of vibe. So I, th- I think it works. Greg Burns is another guy that's been very vocal. Mike yep. Jinx has been vocal. Yep. Uh, Tim Drevno, we know him to be vocal with the offensive lineman. Of course, that's way in another corner, way on the other side True. of the field. Graham Harrell, I've heard him snap sometimes too. Yeah, so I, I think that it's it's a product to go on five and seven too. You know, you, you got you to gotta get on players. You, you guys were five and seven last year you need to be told that you're doing stuff wrong because obviously there were some mistakes being made at five and seven along with the coaching coaches need to be yelled at too. And that's probably behind closed doors. <laughs> probably my final heard on the sideline is I think it's worth noting. Just, I think Isaiah pull out kind of took up a, a type of leadership role towards the end of camp. And I thought he became very vocal and that's not something that we ne- necessarily seen from him. And granted he's been injured for a lot of his career at USC, but I liked that he was holding players accountable. He called out someone for a lazy play. Um, I think that's something that you need back there as a safety. You m- you're missing Marvel tell. He was a big leadership guy. Um, he was a captain. So you need someone to take up that, that role. And I think Isaiah pull kind of, filled that gap and especially you saw it towards the end of spring camp and that's something that i wasn't expecting from him but i think that's an encouraging sign definitely and and talking about leadership i don't remember if i mentioned this on the past show but palia naitiote talking about john houston and playing beside him and saying that he's a leader he knows where everybody's supposed to be at, he knows the playbook but his biggest intangible that he's a leader and it comes out a lot when we're on the on the practice field basically <laughs> is what he said uh that he's taken that leadership role and taking it as a task that he has to perform and he's doing it I think that's important for that defense for someone to step in especially at middle linebacker if you can do it there that's the biggest spot you're talking the most with anybody and safety is behind that uh to an extent but they need somebody to replace Cameron Smith who was a leader of that defense yep. you know the vocal guy so the fact that um, uh, John Houston is stepping in at the mic spot the fact that you have somebody at the safety spot that's doing that as well because you've had a run of safeties you know, veteran safeties that have been the guy that can tell all the DBs, hey, you're doing this wrong, or putting guys in the right place. If you can have Isaiah Polamau following that up, I think that's a great addition to this defense because they need someone in that back end, especially with how much turnover they've had in the safeties position. Yeah, completely agree. What about you, final? I'm done. Heard it? Oh, okay. Alrighty. so first off. I don't agree with you ever. That's false. I disagree with that. That's mostly true. <laughs> Uh, we kind of already addressed this, but I said it's a bad look on Clay Helton that USC's 2015 class will not be drafted high. 
will most likely not be drafted high. Uh, that's uh, that's a tough one. I'd say agree and disagree because it's no. not his class. True. But he was here the whole time. And he was in charge of developing players. Yeah, after Sarkeesian was fired, technically. Yeah. It was his job then, but, I mean. I, so at what point does it count? I, I mean, like, you could tough. argue that if USC had a better season than 5-7, and seven, their stock could be higher. Yeah, definitely. Uh, no, I agree. I agree that uh, he's to blame, but I also would put some blame on Steve Sarkeesian as well. Yeah, I think you can do that. I would agree. Moving on, USC fans should be positive coming out of spring camp. Agree. I think a lot of positive things to take away from spring and the fact that you know the offense we think is going to score more points, I mean, that changes a lot. The fact that if you score seven more points, you go 9-3 and three last year. Should it be a cautiously optimistic or just sure because positive? It should be cautiously, cautiously optimistic just because of the track record the last few years, not, not just with the football program, but with the school and the athletic department in general. Um, so I would be cautiously, cautiously optimistic. But I think it's a, the spring was a positive for me. You know, looking at it, I think there was a lot of positive things to take away from what transpired during the spring. Yeah, I would agree. Moving on, the key to the Trojan success in 2019 relies on the performance of the offensive line and defensive backs. Hmm. You know, I harped on the offensive line for forever last year. Um, n- no, I disagree, though. Por qué? I think that there's just more to it than just those two groups to whether this group has success. I think the offensive line can be covered up some, some by the air raid offense and the fact you're going to get the ball out quickly, similar to what we saw in the spring game where you put in backup tackles, including... Liam Jimmins, who, you know, has been practicing there for four weeks. Yeah. Um, and you don't notice the difference. Now, obviously, in a game and, you know, with the defense designing plays to attack those type of players because you want to attack the weaknesses, then it'll be different. But I think it can cover up some things for, for the offensive line. The DBs are a big question mark. Um, I, I know that we have more faith in the defensive line and the fact they're going to get some pressure this year more than they did last year. But – I don't know if they're they're getting enough to cover up the, for the DBs. You know, you, yeah. you get enough pressure, then it, it works out that way. But I don't think that's the case. So I think it's more on the DBs than the offensive line. But I think there's a lot of things, a lot of factors this year. So I'm not going to put it on both of those groups solely. Interesting. So then what other factors? Like if you had to put your main factors of success, what would you say? Um, b- the buy-in? That's good. I think I I'll start. Yeah, we'll go with that because – you know, there's talent there. Even though this this recruiting class wasn't the most dynamic recruiting class, there's still plenty of talent on the team that you know that they can perform. But everyone has to be bought in. That's a question mark coming out, especially after Cam Smith's comments after the final game of how yeah you know he basically said that was the case. Like yeah, he he can't be a babysitter for everybody. So you know there, there's going to be some guys that are going to be leaders on the group. But can you get 105 guys to buy in? That's a hard thing to do. Get it. 105 guys want to do the same thing. It's hard to do that when every one of those guys on any football team is selfish to an extent because they think they're going to be in the pros. So you got to, you know, you want tape so that you can show pro scouts. You want to get better yourself. If the whole team gets better, then you get more of a showcase in the spotlight. So it's you got to put them both working in the same direction, and it's hard to get 105 guys to be bought in. You know, especially when someone thinks. That guy shouldn't be playing. I should be playing. Yeah. And you can have 
in lock in house, you know, uh, disturbances. I guess <laughs> disturbances. This next and final agree disagree kind of mm. goes to that point of that sh- guy should be playing or I should be playing, not that guy should be playing. USC will have more players enter the transfer portal before the start of the 2019 season. Yes, just because that's the nature of college football. I don't think it's necessarily because of I should be playing versus that guy. But in some cases, yes. I, I mean, mean, you could say Matt Fink, Hunter Eccles, if he elects to go. I mean, it, I'm just saying that there's going to be more guys in the portal, and it's not just going to be because of that. No, oh, yeah, sure. Wow, ending on an agree. Who would have thunk it? Well, I don't agree with your reasoning. <laughs> Always a caveat with you, Shotgun. Oh, yeah. Um, moving on to questions. So we have a question from our friend Maybet from Ontario, California. She made sure to put California this time since last time you said she was from Canada. What? Oh, Ontario. Oh, yeah. I was hoping we would have Canadians. No, not anymore. She says, this is an interesting question. Now that spring workouts are over and you have a better gauge of the team's strengths and weaknesses, if you worked for USC Athletics and were charged with the unenviable task of convincing ticket holders to renew their tickets for the upcoming 2019 season, what would you tell them? Keep feuding and thanks for answering my question. I appreciate she likes the feuding. Yeah. Because that's where we're We like at. you, maybe. <laughs> uh, what would I tell them? I would plaster Graham Harrell all over everything I send out. I would put highlights up of I would put highlights up of the Texas Tech offense when Graham Harrell was the quarterback. I would put up highlights of the North Texas offense with him as the offense coordinator. I would put him put some highlights of him from Packers training camp. You know, <laughs> I I would use him. He's the best. But this thing. is like a media strategy you're doing right now. What are you telling ticket holders? I, I'm sending out stuff okay, okay. that has. I'm sending out like I don't media. Know, I like it. Spending out packets, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> whatever it takes. Highlight, pa- you know, like the emails that have You're links and stuff. iPads. Ooh, with highlights. Well, that will get them. That's to, come. to the big donors. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm sending out links to stuff. I'm sending out mailings. There we go. <laughs> Electronic mailings <laughs> that have that feature Graham Harrell and Graham Harrell highlights. One thing that I think would be interesting, and maybe this. I don't know. It depend. I don't really know the ticket holders. You know what all their interests are. I'm sure the people that do that they have much better idea of what they're actually interested in. You know, as far as their interest in the football game itself, what when they go the full experience, what they're interested in. I would send stuff like breaking down a couple plays, and say, look, Ooh. look for this, and this is how this attacks this. Like just kind of a breakdown, or get Graham Harrell to do it, and say, you know, this is one of the plays in the the air raid offense that we use. Just because I, I think because then you have people looking for it and like oh well, I got I gotta look and see if they're doing that, and I think you'll you could show a highlight off of it from North Texas or from his time at Texas Tech and you'll be the same play because there's some plays that are the same in all the offenses, and you say look at how well this worked, you show a um, something of Graham Harrell throwing to Michael Crabtree or whatever it is, and you say now nah, and maybe you do some kind of unique graphics where you have J T Daniels then throwing it to Michael Pittman or whatever. Yeah, but then people are going to be like, oh, is Richie Daniels the starting quarterback? Your arms are tied there. If you want, you can then have a second highlight that has Jack Sears throwing to Amon Ross St. Brown. Sure. <laughs> so your your strategy is? Sell Graham Harrell. Sell, sell, sell Graham Harrell. Yeah, I would I would go same. same sell Graham Harrell. Put in some flashy Amon Ross, Michael Pittman stuff in the, the multimedia that you send. Um Maybe some J. Tufele screaming highlights when he like after he did something. One thing that has happened, it's not been the USC athletics, but the football team itself is 
they've provided more photos for the players to tweet out. They've yeah. provided more video packages to tweet out. You know, different accounts, you know, that are related to the USC team and stuff that they put out more highlights and stuff. And it's quick. I think they've just stepped up their graphics and video department, you know, the amount of stuff that they're producing, especially with it being the offseason. I think they're doing that purposely because of how bad last season was and to draw more interest in, whereas that might be something they do a lot during the, this, the season. But I think they've done a lot this spring to try to draw more interest in. You see the players making plays. You see Drake Jackson's one-handed play. Those are the type of things they're trying to sell. You're seeing more of that stuff being put out by the university's accounts, I guess. Yeah, so I would market those guys. I think also my strategy, and this is not necessarily related to USC, but I would try and find something personal to connect to each ticket holder about like the year that they started buying tickets or what's who's their favorite player or whatever data you have on these people because I think part of the frustration is that people the average fan felt like they were not being paid attention to or listened to interesting and so i think if you came back with more personal stuff and felt like you're listening to said fan i think you'd get a better response that's rather than it is having done email marketing i will tell you that is and a difficult thing to do when you have a ton of numbers. True. You have so many. So you would have to bulk up your staff for this off season or something like that. You'd yeah, have to get I some mean, extra interns or something. Yeah, it depends on. I what, like the idea. What they want. Yeah, I just think to stop the the tower metaphors and how all they care about is money. If you try and turn around and, and make it personal, people would probably respond well to that. Moving on. Moving on. We have a question from Chris on Twitter. He says, why are there so many JT Daniels haters? Did fans really expect him to lead the Pac-12 championship and be beyond with a poor offensive scheme and coaching staff? Fans wanted T. Martin and Clay Helton out, but then blamed JT Daniels for a lot. They don't make up their mind. Because they're fans. When the ship is sinking, they want to blame everybody. True. So the quarterback is one of the positions in all sports where you're going to be blamed or you're going to be praised, whether you deserve it or not. There's very few times where it's like, Trent Dilfer did win the Super Bowl, but it wasn't because of Trent Dilfer. Can you? I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Do you think any other Super Bowl where the quarterback got no credit? That's a good question. No, the quarterback always gets credit. Now they say, well, he led them there. Tom Brady led them there last year. Tom Brady was not good in the Super Bowl last year. They won in spite of him. Now he made two really good throws. But that's the, that's the thing. He made two really good throws that game. He wasn't consistently good, but he got credit for it. It's because you're the most visible. I think to the casual fan, it's like, oh, the quarterback. You know, it's just that's how it works. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's the most high-profile position yeah. of any team sport. So whether he gets more praise than he, he should and he gets more uh, blame when, when he shouldn't, it's just how it goes. My analogy was that JT Daniels was the pilot of a plane with two broken engines. He was trying to do his best. But it was inherently flawed, what he was dealing with. Hopefully it had like eight engines. <laughs> nope. Otherwise, that one's crashing and burning. It was crashing to a five and seven burn. Oh. That's some spice. <laughs> Still want to say spice, huh? Shotgun told me earlier today that he hates when I say spice. I did so not say I hate it. I just said you've been saying that a lot. I've been sprinkling spice, if you will. Oh, my God. Thanks, everyone, who sent us questions. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Shotgun, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Nope, looking forward to seeing how the PRP go, PRPs go in a couple of months and see you know how the team how different they are than previously and looking forward to seeing what happens with 
uh, the guys that are leaving the program this year, going to the draft, going to the pros, and seeing who gets opportunities and where they end up landing this weekend. Agreed. Definitely agreed. How much media access do you think we'll get for PRPs? They're getting a little crazy now. I don't, I don't even... I don't want to get into it. I know. That's that's true. I don't want to start you again. That's that's (laughs) not good. Alrighty. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, We'll see you guys next week. And of course, if you have any questions, ideas for the show, topics you want us to debate, discuss, feud about, email us at familyfeudpod at gmail.com or tweet at us. Um, And thanks so much for listening. That's Shotgun. I'm Keely. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.